Hello and welcome to Talking Events, the industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Um, Our thanks, first of all, before we kick off with today's uh, episode, to Headbox.com. Headbox.com have have kindly organised the venue that we're sat in today and that we've set the podcast studio up in, which is the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard, London. Um, We're in a private meeting room on level 34 of the Shard, overlooking London. I mean, it's it's a fabulous location to be in. So thanks to all of those guys, um, and particularly to Claire Metcalf and her events and hospitality team here at the hotel for looking after us today. Um, on with today's episode, um, and we're going to be looking again, I suppose, in a way at the subject of, of hospitality um, and, and how that is being developed and how things are changing in the event industry. And I'm delighted to say that joining Talking Events for the first time is the founder of Event Wine Solutions, Paul Scaife. Paul, thanks very much for joining us. You're welcome. Um, great to have you on the show. First of all, we've, we've met several times in the past and have spoken, but for the benefit of those people who may not be familiar with Event Wine Solutions, tell us a little bit about the company and what it does. Yeah, well, after a 30-year wine background, um, I found a, a bottle format that I really like the look of at an exhibition in Montpellier about five years ago. And it struck me that there was an opportunity to use some of my uh, experience in blending and working with wine producers in France to actually put some interesting wines in this new bottle format, which is PET, uh, fully recyclable, uh, multi-layered for for extra length of life, uh, and bring it to the events industry. So this is fundamentally wine in a we call a PET bottle is the correct term, but it's a plastic bottle. Yeah, it's isn't a plastic it? bottle. Uh, but the technology behind it means that uh, the consumer sees effectively a quality wine bottle that is virtually indistinguishable against glass until mm-hmm. they actually pick it up and squeeze it. The benefits are, are obvious, but but let, let's go through them. Let's let's ask the question: Why? Why you know why bring this solution to the, to the events industry in particular? Well, we've seen an increase in licensing authorities clamping down on glass on sites at events, uh, and this is a real solution. And uh, you know, if if bar operators and promoters are being asked to reduce the the risks of injury, uh, both to cons- both to uh, event attendees, but also to to bar staff operators by having glass on site, then then this PET solution really does the job. Um, is this just simply a case of providing any old wine in a, in a, a plastic bottle? Mm, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I would put any old wine in a, in a plastic <laughs> bottle. I entertain at home and I want to put wines on the table for my friends that, that I'm proud of. I've had a long wine trade experience, uh, but now in the events industry, I think I can put that to good use by, by sourcing, blending, tweaking wine blends with, with winemakers on site in France to to bring some really interesting wine quality into this bottle format. When it comes to the catering at outdoor events and and music festivals, we use that as an example, we've really seen a step up in in the levels being being offered, haven't we, at festivals. In in most other aspects, we've seen a big resurgence in car scales and real ales. We've seen the rise of of trendy street food and gourmet burgers Mm. and and better quality food than your traditional old greasy burger van that we would have had at a festival 15, 20 years ago. Um, Is is the area of wine still something that is is trying to be tackled by event organisers or are are you trying to sort of push this message out there a little bit more effectively than, than, than perhaps they've looked at it in the past? Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't pushing it hard. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I think it's being pulled by the consumer itself. So, you know, we see 
just in the last three weeks, um, you know, the, the Sunday supplements are, are full of stories of street food and the amazing choice of, of, of beverage offer at festivals and events. And I think that the consumer is starting to demand that, that their experience in the local gastro pub, maybe, is, is reflected by what they're actually getting on site at, at a festival. We've got to remember that, um, that because of the recession, a lot of um, you know, really high-quality chefs uh, found rents difficult and, and with property prices still continuing to rise. Uh, they, they needed to find an outlet for their hugely creative food. And, and, and it, I think part of the reason that you're seeing a lot better and more interesting street food uh, at festivals and events now is is a, is a result of that. You know, great chefs taking their brand out into into the events market for consumers' benefit. But as you rightly point out, consumers themselves have become more discerning mm. with their tastes and what what they wish to eat, what they wish to drink, what they wish to experience. And when we look at modern day outdoor events and and, and again music festivals as an example. Um, People are going to them for the experience, aren't they? And and you ask any festival organizer, the demographic of, of has changed massively, hasn't it, from 10 years ago. The people that were going to music festivals 10 years ago is a vastly different group of people to the people that you would now see walking around a greenfield location. And hand in hand in that, with that is going to be a change in taste, isn't there? And a change in demand of what they want when they're there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's quite interesting, there's a statistic out of uh, the Association of Independent Festivals that uh, 58% of people um, now actually don't go for headline acts when they're buying festival tickets and choosing their event that they attend. So if we actually look at that, that means that, that the consumer's going for the whole arts experience, spoken word, you know, lighting in the woods, uh, fantastic banquet experience great car scales, gin bars, mm. uh, cocktails, and, I feel, uh, wine, which is which is lagged behind. Uh, in what respect does it lag behind? I mean, is it just a case that simply there's been no thought given to it other than red, white, maybe rosé, chuck it in a glass and hand it out? We, we Obviously, all, most people will be familiar with single-serving bottles. Um, is it now gone beyond that, where people don't just want red, white, or rosé? Well, I think if... If what people are looking to replicate at an event is something similar to their experience of dining in, in, in the city, then, then what they're used to buying when they do that is a full bottle of wine. Um, and up until now, of course, you know, you know, the, the PET offer has been you know, small single serves, red, white, possibly rosé, as you say. Um, but my company exists to try and actually expand that range and, and give consumers a real choice of, of wine that perhaps more closely matches what they actually do in real life. And, and, and when you say that not just closely matches their tastes, but culturally, there is a significant difference, isn't there, between handling a full bottle of wine and taking that back to the table with your guests or your friends, whoever you're sitting with, compared to sticking down a couple of cheap plastic glasses of it that have been tipped out in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Part of the wine drinking ritual, I feel, is pouring for your friends, you know, out of a full bottle. It's what, it's what we do. It's a, it's a shared emotional experience. And if we can do that and replicate that much more accurately uh, by having bar operators being able to hand over the bottle to the consumer at the festival and say go and enjoy this with your friends and if you like it can buy and buy a second one then then i think that's where we need to be how receptive has the industry been thus far to to, to what you're trying to 
to promote and what you're trying to do with event wine solutions um, and let's perhaps look at that in two different strands let's look at the event organizers and promoters themselves and some of the bar operators that they're inevitably going to have to to deal with when it comes to the larger events yeah well looking at the the event organizers themselves i think you know very often they were taking their lead on on product selection from the bar operators so the right. bar operators would put a a package of, of products to them across the, the whole uh, composite drinks menu, uh, and you know, with their their financial arrangements in place, you know, the event organisers would be prepared to accept that. I think one there's been one major change in the last eighteen months, and that is that I think that uh, the bar operators are now m in a much better place to be able to source wholesale wise a much wider variety of brands and products, and so. Uh, the consumers benefited from uh, from those bar operators being able to to provide uh, a much wider range uh, and much closer to what the consumers are looking for rather than the traditional uh, offers uh, made to the event organizers and so yeah we we see a, a big drift away from 187 mil which is the small baby bottles sure, in, yeah, in plastic yeah. towards a demand for um, a wider range of, of wines in full bottle uh, plastic format, and that's why we've we've had to, <laughs> and we've had to bring a lot more wines to market to cope for, you know, VIP and hospitality areas where uh, those consumers are willing to pay more to get a closer experience mm -hmm. to to dining yeah. out that they do regularly. Which is, uh, and the hospitality and the higher level hospitality is now a huge part of the bottom line isn't it of, 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 a, of a festival being able to offer a more bespoke and tailored offering to a, a a smaller niche group of people who are prepared to pay more for something is a is a critical part isn't it of modern day events yeah and a good example of that is is the demand we're seeing for you know our mid and upper range wines this season um you know when i first started we had you know red white and rosé um uh, in in full-size plastic bottles but now we've got a range of of wines that includes New Zealand Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Malbec. Uh, we even put white Burgundy in, in a bottle. Our Macon Village would expect to sell at around thirty-five pounds at a festival site, you know, and that's much closer to the sort of drinking experience that you'd you'd get in a decent restaurant. I, I'm looking at um, some information here that was, that was published on the the, the Telegraph um, regarding our wine consumption mm. and. Uh, and, and just how much we are now consuming um, in the UK. Just looking through this, I, I think we jumped um, last year. Let's have a look here. Britain jumped 2.4% to 12.9 million hectolitres of wine last year. Mm. Um, based on that, that, that consumption and, and our clear love for it now as a country and the fact that we have become a bit more sophisticated with it, by not identifying those tastes, our promoters and event organizers essentially missing out on, on revenue, let's be honest with it. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I would honestly say that, that you know, both the event organizers and the bar operators were certainly slow to recognize uh, my proposition to them in the early stages of the company. Um, but I think that, you know, we're now seeing an exponential demand from the consumer and, and that's being very quickly responded to by, by my clients, certainly mm -hmm. for a wider range of of wines that are hopefully going to more closely match what they're looking for. When, when we look at the hospitality that has to go hand in hand with improving the quality of food and beverage that's on offer at any given event, um, is it important and have you had a, a, examples where you've worked with festivals and outdoor events 
on the hospitality and how the actual wine is delivered because by improving the quality and the choice that's on offer to the customer with wine you would also expect that the level of service that you receive with that goes goes up as well is it important that the the the, the bar operators the staff who are actually delivering the product itself are knowledgeable about it in the same way that they would be in a restaurant and that people would expect when they go into a restaurant Let's be perfectly honest about it. Uh, you know, a lot of younger people, uh, preferred drink might not be wine. Uh, and so with that in mind, it's unlikely that they're very familiar with um, how to handle and present you know, wine in, uh, in a hospitality environment. They're there basically to deliver what the, what the customer wants. Um, so one of the things we've been doing this year um, is introducing a program of, of staff incentives based on knowledge. You know, we give uh, our bar operators some knowledge about the products for them to pass on to their staff, and, and we go to the festival sites and reward members of staff by if you know, if they can actually answer some some questions correctly sure. about mm. the, the the quality and, and and the style of the wines that, that are for sale. Um, and as a result, you know, the, the staff members hopefully will pick up a, a little bit more information, mm-hmm. be able to relay that in a confident manner to the consumer and, you know, win a bottle of wine sent to their home address for the privilege. Um, how, does the, how does the supply chain side of things work with yourself? Because you are sourcing the wine yeah. um, from, from the very start, from, from the, the, the manufacturers of the wine itself? Yeah, our French wines are chosen by me directly in source. Um, you know, I oversee the bottling process. Uh, we, we obviously have um, New World wines as well. Those are bulk tanked uh, and, uh, over to the UK and bottled in the UK. Um, and so, you know, again, I, I get the opportunity to, to select those those wines. And that's really important to me because, um, you know, I've already bored you with my 30-year wine <laughs> drink background. <laughs> but, but the reality to me is that, you know, what we're going to be doing here is giving people perhaps the, the, the first and only opportunity to, to pick up a plastic bottle. And, you know, when I set my company up, uh, we did some some focus groups where we described wine in a plastic bottle to people and the response was essentially quite negative they they weren't expecting the wine quality to be very good they didn't expect the packaging to be very interesting and they overall felt that perhaps it it wasn't a, a sustainable business proposition but as we you know started as they started to encounter the products that i was bringing to market they started to see some real benefits in this and that led me to, to to have confidence in driving the project forward. And and where does the, the the supply chain then go from there? Do you supply directly to the events themselves for them to then provide to their bar operators? Do you supply to the bar operators? How does it how does it work, or does it vary? It does vary because um, you know we we have a, a very strong national wholesale route to market, which can supply the the major bar operators, which will take us into some some very big events. But we actually really like uh, trading directly with some of the, the smaller events and festivals because you know, without that uh, consumer feedback, we don't feel that we can assess the, the quality and range that we provide in a way that to actually take the business forward. Because I, I think that actually um, you know, some of the smaller independent festivals are actually starting to, to, to pull some of the larger events up to their sometimes slightly eccentric but 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 wonderfully creative no, you, you're right yeah wonderfully yeah. creative 
product that they they put out there. Well, you mentioned the Association of Independent Festivals mm. and, uh, and one of their reports and, and a statistic from there. And um, uh, and I know from from speaking to them in the past that, that that they're very proud of the fact that the example set by some of their smaller mem- member festivals are, are actually being looked at by some of the larger quote unquote corporate festivals mm. um, and the way that they're doing things whether that be through hospitality or the creative process is actually being looked upon so um, are there any great examples where you've really been able to engage with some of these smaller festivals and, and they've actually helped you in terms of developing the product further from from either feedback from customers have you had some really receptive ones that you think they're the type of guys that I really want to be working with absolutely yeah my first client my first festival client four years ago was the Llama Tree Festival you know and uh, James and Julia down there certainly did a fantastic job of making my products feel very welcome, initially in a cautious way because mm-hmm. they weren't too sure how their their festival goes were going to receive that. Uh, but this year, you know, we'll, we'll have eight wines in there um, with a page in the program talking about food and wine matches. So, for example, you know, why not try you know our, our new Viognier from from southern France, which is a an elegant, fragrant uh, wine with a go and fish curry, you know, and and that's the sort of openness that, that we get from the smaller festivals. And the consumer can benefit from that by saying, well, yeah, let, let, let's, let's try this, this Malbec with a, with, with a 30-year-old, you know, 30 days aged you know, steak sandwich from, yeah, from yeah. Aberdeen Angus or a rare breed. You know, I think that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, um, this is obviously all contributing to a higher level of hospitality and a higher level of offering to the customer at the festival or, or the event. Is there actually a, a, a financial benefit to looking at this type of product? Is there a revenue stream that's untapped by festivals and outdoor events at the moment that could be exploited, for want of a better word, with this, with a product like this? Well, if we look back at the, the basic red, white, rosé premise that we started with, um, that, you know, if you're given a lot of choice of real ales, doesn't actually fill a, a wine lover or a wine consumer with a lot of confidence. Um, but by having uh, mid-range and premium wines on the same wine tariff board, uh, then they perhaps are given the impression that that wine selection has been quite carefully made by the bar provider, and they feel more confident by, by trading up. So by trading up, th- there's more revenue, there's more cash take, uh, margin generates more profit, uh, and, and hopefully both the bar operator, but perhaps even more importantly, the festival organiser or promoter can see the benefits of that. I do believe that it's an untapped market there and, and, and ready to be pushed forward. I know that you're um, heavily involved with the National Outdoor Event Association um, with NOAA. And uh, I'm so, just to go off track ever so slightly, I'm curious to know whether or not there are any, is there, are there active discussions about the level of hospitality and outdoor events in general and how suppliers, contractors, organisers can all work a little bit better to improve the level of hospitality is it something that's often talked about well I, I certainly think that one thing that perhaps isn't talked about quite enough in that is the profitability of events um, and you know I've since I've entered the the industry from outside uh, I've noticed that that a lot of the organizations don't tend to talk too much about where the revenue comes from they, they do tend to talk a lot about health and safety which is critically important of course on site, but um, that the national organisations sometimes, I think, could benefit from from actually looking where um, the money comes from, essentially. And and we all know that that without ticket sales or 
or good bar revenues, then, then a lot of events might not take place or will be as successful as they are. And so when I was elected to the Council of National Outdoor Events Association, you know, I put that forward as my mandate, mm-hmm. wanting to try and link in between NOAA and, and some of my bar operator clients to try and bring them together more to discuss about how uh, we can move together to, to create a more profitable events industry. Sadly, we still see in EIN and, and other publications festivals falling by the wayside through lack of ticket sales or problems with licensing or, or difficulties actually putting together um, you know, their event that happened very successfully previously and consequently disappointing some of their, their most loyal clients. And I think profitability, perhaps a dirty word to some in the festival industry, you know, it is really important. You have to make money to survive, don't yeah. you? And, and 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 perhaps not enough people out there are paying attention to some of the finer details that mm-hmm. would affect the bottom line profit. Uh, 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 you know, and, and bring it up by selling more of a pr- premium product or mm-hmm. um, making better pro- profit on a on, on a mid range product by by comparison. Um, what are the, uh, the 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 future plans when we're looking at festivals now and how they are embracing it and the people that you are working with? Um, am I right in saying that some of these have gone to the stage now where they're going to have their own brands on some of the bottles and and there are those sort of offerings now creeping in? Well, one of the things that that we did develop with Alarma Tree Festival was uh, was a bespoke package for them. We, you know, we, we, we literally hand-label Llama Tree wines, um, which is the house offer there, mm-hmm. uh, as indeed we do for the delightful Cornbury Festival. And, and those are two really, you know, pet clients of ours and we, we, we love working with them um, I, I think that um, festivals do have an eye to making sure that their own brand is in front of their consumer as much as possible and I think that's important but sometimes there's also a need to to reassure consumers by having you know a wide range of, uh, of other products available as well as the house wines which is where you know our range extension perhaps this year will be quite interesting to see you know how that how well that's received by you know the likes of Cornbury and Lama Tree. We've we've mentioned food and and, mm. and and quite rightly wine. Um, are there any other aspects that are being looked at by festivals and outdoor events at the moment that uh, they're looking to just bring the standard up a little bit? Where in the past they may have just been happy with one offering, and now they're thinking, hold on, the changing consumer taste is driving us to to look a little bit more. You mentioned stuff, gin bars. Mm. Um, Wine is obviously something that is, is, is on the up. Real ale and car scales is something. Are there any other aspects that you've seen that you think are, that they're clearly looking uh, in the same way as we've done with wine? Well, I think that um, you know, the creativity is, is really important to a lot of festival goers now. Certainly, you know, when I, when I walk through the, the wonderful woodland um, and, and see lots of twinkly lights and a, you know, a spoken word um, shed in, in a corner somewhere, I think, that, that that's wonderful and that's the sort of thing that you've been seeing in in the smaller festivals but you're also really now starting to see mm-hmm. you know in the larger festivals and so i think that more creative offer is is certainly the way that um, that things are going in terms of um you know fine bespoke uh, products uh, and artisan products for the consumers to enjoy from a food and beverage point of view it just seems to get more creative every year mm-hmm. it's extraordinary yeah. you know we're getting little garnishes of microgreens on our burgers now and instead of a you know a, a perhaps a, a book of cash and carry bun <laughs> yeah. and, and a frozen you know defrosted burger now it, it's 
you know the, these brioche buns are baked in in E1 and shipped over you know across the country and it's extraordinary we should be heartened by it really because yeah. as, as you pointed out at the top of today's episode products like yours are driven by a change in consumer tastes mm. so these changes that we're seeing in the higher level that we we're seeing being delivered by food and beverage providers at events is because as a whole as a nation we're better with our food and drink now than we were 25 30 years ago historically yeah absolutely um you know if you look at the amount of column inches dedicated to to food and drink in in, in newspapers and online now compared to what it was 10 years ago uh, it's extraordinary uh, people have no shortage in in thirst for knowledge about about food and drink and they're always looking for the next trend or, or, or looking to experience something that, that their friends have raved about. Um, the, the infrastructure at a festival, um, when, when uh, an event is looking to deliver full bottles of wine, mm. how do they actually cope with that physically from a chilling point of view? Have you had to also look at how bar operators can handle and deliver wine in a full-size bottle appropriately. So when you take the white wine, for example, have you had to work with them on ways to make sure that it's chilled correctly to be delivered? Are there ice buckets? Are there things that you would get in a restaurant that you can actually also deliver in a temporary event scenario? Well, a lot of the larger events now rely on infrastructural support from either their, their, their national wholesaler or, or the brewer to provide chiller trucks on site. And, and, and there's a very sophisticated system of loading um, the products that will sit behind each bar on each of those trailers. And that's, that's really interesting because it means that um, the wine is kept at, at four degrees uh, and then can be transferred to the bar operation site you know, really quite simply. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're light to deal with um, and, and unbreakable. So um, you know, it, it's very easy to actually keep the temperature correct and, and deliver the wine in a way that, that I'd like to see it delivered, yeah. And it's not going to be costing them anything extra, that this, this sort of infrastructure is infrastructure that is, is likely to be on site anyway as part of the catering operation and part of the food and beverage operation? Yes, it is. You know, I, I work with, with over a dozen bar operators and a lot of them are very sophisticated in the way that they handle the stock management on site and, uh, and move stock around where, where shortages occur. Uh, and, and that's that's really good. Uh, and the bar staff are, are beginning to get used to the idea, and they find it a very simple sale to make. Mm. You know, just handing over a full bottle of wine instead of decanting it into a plastic carafe or a or a jug, and you know, and, and the consumer not actually getting to handle the product itself. So everybody benefits from this format uh, are you able to, to track feedback at all because if you're supplying to a bar operator to, or, or, or who's then supplying onto the festival itself um how active can you be and how effective can you be in actually monitoring the consumer's response to your products when they've gone into a particular site well we're hoping that social media will be pretty active this summer we're, we're planning to supply over, over i think the tally is 87 festivals at the moment and growing so so we, we expect to, to get you know the good the bad and the ugly comments back from people and we we really want to engage with them and the reason we want to engage with them is because if we haven't quite got the wine styles right then i can change them Uh, that's the beauty of of what we do Uh, but the bar operators i think will will be able to help us with with good feedback you know we've had some great comments and we've actually had consumers get in touch with us after an event where they they perhaps enjoyed a bottle of our wine saying 
oh, we got a caravan. It's the perfect thing for us to take <laughs> away for a weekend. Can yeah. you send us a dozen bottles? Uh, and, and so we, we, we get quite a lot of uh, direct response from consumers like that, which is very heartening. It's, it, it's genuinely a fascinating uh, area to talk about because I think it, it's been overlooked for a long, long time. Yeah. And the simple reality of being able to deliver full-sized wine bottles in a, a means that, that, that conforms with the standards that have to be adhered to by outdoor event operators, i.e. no glass, mm. um, is something that, that, that is, is no doubt picking up for you and, and, and is starting to, to, to become and has become a very, very successful business. Um, for those people listening to the podcast... Um, we do urge you, if you, if you subscribe via iTunes, um, hop over to eventindustrynews.co.uk and check out some pictures and, and the video of today's podcast because Paul has kindly put a bottle on the table in front of us so that we can see just how, how realistic it looks, I suppose. And when I say realistic, I mean it looks no different to a bottle that you would pick up off a shelf in a wine merchant or a supermarket. Um, if you've got any thoughts on this, on event hospitality in general, as I said, it's a topic that we've talked about a, a couple of times on, on Talking Events. Um, get in touch. Tweet us at Talking Events. Um, we'd love to hear from you, um, find out what your opinions are on it, and, and are there any examples of event organisers out there who are listening to the podcast who are embracing this higher level of product that we're now seeing uh, work its way into outdoor events? Um, for the time being, we should say a, a big thank you to our guest today, Paul Skay from Event Wine Solutions. Paul, thanks for coming into the studio. And when I say the studio, what I mean is the 34th floor <laughs> of the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard London. Um, words I didn't think I'd say at any point in my life. Um, but Paul, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, for the time being, my name is James Dixon and you've been listening to Talking Events.